0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime
1: Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. With my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. And uh, don't worry, folks. Before this podcast posted, the Nevada State Athletic Commission gave it a careful listen, replayed it several times to check for accuracy, went away, had a cup of coffee, came back, looked at video of themselves listening to the podcast, checking it for accuracy. And they've given it, after three and a half hours, the thumbs up. So you can rest assured we've got everything right this episode. No chance whatsoever of a mistake slipping by that outfit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, us parents like to lecture our kids about how you can get something done quickly or you can get it done right. This mess with the Nevada (laughs) Athletic Commission was proof that it's possible to go 0 for 2. You can take your time and then some. And still get it wrong. You can be inefficient and ineffective. Um, uh, Yeah, in case anyone didn't see it, we are, of course, talking about the Joshua Franco-Andrew Maloney rematch. It was stopped after the second round because Franco's right eye had swollen shut. Referee Russell Mora had ruled that the eye injury came from a clash of heads, so it was going to be deemed a no contest. But they do use instant replay in Nevada. Uh, Actually, let me correct that. They use replay. There's nothing instant <laughs> about it. Um, so, Bob Bennett and Robert Byrd spent 26 minutes watching replays and slow mos of Maloney landing numerous jabs to that eye, but not a single clash of heads occurring in that area, and determined somehow that Mora was right. It was a clash of heads, no contest. Now, Would it have been very unlucky for Franco to take an L because a punch landed in a freak way on his eye and caused it to swell shut? Absolutely. But I'll take bad luck determining the outcome over a bad call. This was an embarrassment for the sport. I can't imagine any casual viewers sticking around for the main event. I would assume even some hardcore fans gave up and changed the channel at some point during this debacle. You know, the Nevada Commission used to be considered the gold standard. Not anymore. Uh, I mean, how do you get a call this wrong with the aid of replay? Um, But I will say I I envy you, Karen. Uh, I know that you watch this the next morning with access to a fast forward button. So please tell me your
1: suffering was a little (laughs) more brief than mine. Well yes and you had kind of hinted at it um that you uh you, you know when I said I was just about to watch it you did sort of hint that there would be very good opening banter material uh-huh. and told me roughly what in the broadcast it would be so yeah i uh, i don't know i saw some wag on twitter say that they thought that the um they were taking all that time to look at the replay to make sure that the ufc main event finished <laughs> Before they actually went to the ESP, You had to think
2: about it for a bit, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, had to had to flash back to what that was a reference to. But uh, uh, yeah, if it's not one thing, it's another.
1: Ah, uh, boxing. <laughs> yes, well, what are you gonna do? Indeed, right. but we can at least, you know, for all the all that Bob Arum uh, complained about Vegas and said that this was it, he was done with Vegas, he was gonna get the f out of Vegas. Oh, we can take that with a very large amount of salt, I think, actually. The uh, very first fight for which I was actually credentialed was the Oscar DeLoya-Jane Mosley match. And thus, my very first ever post-fight podcast had Bob Arum saying, I'm done with Vegas. I'm never coming back here. <laughs>
2: so, Yeah, that's uh, nothing is ever new in boxing or with <laughs> Bob Arum. It's, uh, yes, it's all cyclical.
1: Indeed. Um So let's uh, look ahead and see what else is uh, afoot in the boxing world. And coming up on this episode, we're going to look at some of the news of the week. Uh, We will be particularly picking apart the latest innovation shall we say from a certain mexico city-based sanctioning organization uh and we will talk to our boss Stephen espinoza the president of sports and event programming at showtime but first let's catch up on the rest of the weekend's action there wasn't too much of note to discuss there were a couple of fights worthy of mention and we begin in las vegas and the main event of the aforementioned card featuring joshua franco and uh, andrew maloney uh featuring a current and former top dog in the welterweight division. And uh, in that fight, former champ Kell Brook started solidly against current main man Terence Crawford, working behind a strong jab to cause a slight mouse on Crawford's right eye. But Crawford is a notoriously slow starter, and by round three, he appeared to be getting into his groove. Even so, uh, the end still seemed to come somewhere out of the blue. Crawford landing a southpaw right jab slash hook that Brook evidently just didn't see coming and actually moved right into. Uh, Brook staggered into the ropes. Uh, referee Tony Weeks ruling a knockdown because those ropes held him up. Uh, Crawford immediately went back to work and finished the job just a few seconds later. Weeks stepped in to halt the contest at 1 minute 14 of round four. Uh, Brook falls to 39-3 and 3 with 27 KOs. Crawford climbs to 37-0 and 0 with 28 KOs. Uh, Eric happy with the stoppage and... Did you think in those early stages that maybe an upset might be on the cards or did it always feel to you as if this was just a matter of time until Crawford got into the rhythm of things and took over? So uh,
2: on the first question, definitely nothing to argue with on the stoppage. Brooke was pretty well out of it and Crawford is an elite finisher. Now maybe if there had been just five or ten seconds left on the clock in the round, you could make a case for seeing if he can get through it. But there was like a minute 45 left. So easy call for weeks there, I thought. As for what happened before that, in the first three rounds, did I think Brooke had a shot? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was not expecting the ending to come this soon and this suddenly. I expected Crawford to stop him in the mid to late rounds. But, you know, even though I gave Brooke the first two rounds, I never thought Crawford was in any danger. Never doubted for a minute that he would take over whenever he was good and ready. This was more or less the fight we were expecting. We know Brook is a Mm -hmm. world-class fighter, if a few years past his best. We expected him to have some moments, maybe win some rounds. He has a good jab. He's well-schooled and reasonably fast. And Crawford, as you said, can be a slow starter. So there was no need to overreact to him, indeed, getting off to a slow start. It was actually a bit like the election. Uh, You know, every media outlet I followed leading up to the election warned of a red mirage. It will look like Trump is in the lead early in states that don't allow mail-in ballots to be counted in (laughs) advance. And as the votes are all counted, it will swing back to Biden. This is what we were told. That doesn't mean I didn't let emotion rule over logic for a few hours there. But logically, I knew this is more or less following the script. Same thing here. If I had bet a thousand bucks on Crawford... I might've gotten emotional and panicked in the first round or two, but I had no such investment, no need to get emotional. So my mind stayed on track with what I knew going in, that there was a possibility of a Brooke mirage early, uh, which, which was good for Crawford in the sense that Brooke had a chance to remind people he's a solid fighter Mm. before Crawford blew him out. Thus making the win feel not entirely meaningless for Bud. Um, but, you know, does that mean it was actually meaningful? Does it elevate him at all? Pound-for-pound uh, pound rankings got shaken up following Vasily Lomachenko's loss to Teofimo Lopez the other week. And uh, most observers now have Bud or Canelo Alvarez at number one, with a handful going with inOE, But it's mostly uh-huh. a Bud versus Canelo debate, which is essentially... An eye test versus resume debate. Uh, Where do you stand on that, Kieran? Did Saturday night make any difference in how you view it? And amid reports of Crawford being unhappy with his lack of big fights, what do you see as being next for him?
0: The wait is over. The Shy returns with
1: new episodes on Paramount Plus.
2: What brings you to
1: the Shy? Opportunity.
0: Everybody get down! Walk right up to the sun. A new rain is coming to the south side.
1: Never should have sent a sent boy to do a woman's job.
0: The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July
1: 14th. The subscription
0: auto-renews. Restrictions apply.
1: Uh, so Saturday night didn't make any difference for me, actually, one way or the other. Um, I have frequently joked you know, when Vasily Lomachenko was at his peak that I... Th- that I thought Terence Crawford was the best human being boxing in the world. Right, um right. I continue to feel that way. Uh you know I've thought he was special you know ever since you know he showed up on HBO at the end of 2012 believe it or not. Um it is hard to believe that 8 years have elapsed since then. Um you know 8 years in which he simultaneously established himself as at the very least one of the best boxers in the world. And yet, during which he's also continued to feel as if He's still struggling to become as fully established as his talent sort of suggests he should be. Um, Obviously, the ongoing narrative to to move on to, you know, what's next, the ongoing narrative about Crawford for some time now has been that search for a defining fight. And, you know, and the strength of Canelo's claim to the number one pound for pound spot, as you said, is that he's had so many of those defining fights. Um, We know how good Canelo is because he has tested himself against the very best, and Crawford just hasn't had that that opportunity, even though when we have seen him, whoever he's been up against, like you said, he, he's in many ways a, a complete fighter, a switch hitter, excellent boxer, good defense, and also these days a power puncher. It seems like such a long time that he was considered to be a bit of a boring technical boxer. Um, he's on an eight-fight KO streak now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's interesting to me in terms of like what's next, of course, during the days building up to this fight, there was quite a lot of talk, uh, about a growing rift between Crawford and his, and, and Bob Arum. Um, Crawford, the Athletic reporting that Crawford apparently unhappy about the fact that he hasn't had the defining big fight against an Errol Spence or Danny Garcia or Manny Pacquiao. And interestingly, after the fight, Arum fought back, um, mm-hmm. asking rhetorically, you know, whether he was the one who should want to continue with Crawford. Right. Um, claiming that Crawford fights losing money, uh, putting a lot of the blame on, Crawford himself, for being terrible at at promoting fights. Um, As someone who interviewed Bud many times during fight weeks, I can confirm he's awful. Um, (laughs) You know, after a while, he gets to know you and he feels comfortable with you. He might open up a bit, but, man, it's hard work. Um, And he doesn't like doing interviews. He won't do them now with any journalist or broadcaster who he thinks may have disrespected him he says that he says that like like that's his policy hmm. if you said bad things about about him he won't talk to you um that's just not the way it works <laughs> um you're going to end up talking to very few people i i remember being a bit surprised when he did re-up with top rank in 2018 you know i, I they were definitely you know making eyes at eddie hearn the previous year uh and, and i thought that that's where he was going to go at uh, the moment it doesn't feel as if their arrangement will sort of extend past this expiry date in, in October, 2021, apparently, but who knows, a lot can happen in 11 months. So what exactly do I think will be happening? I, I was very surprised to hear from Crawford, um, uh, and other reporting that allegedly he and Manny Pacquiao were very close to an agreement to fight in the Middle East until COVID messed things up. I was really surprised to hear that. I have no earthly idea why Pacquiao would want that fight. Right. Um, you and I have talked about this matchup so many times over the years, and Crawford brings, from a Pacquiao perspective, he brings nothing to the table in terms of money, and he brings so much danger. Um, uh, you know, but you know, there's talk about perhaps trying to go ahead and make that fight. If it if it can happen for Crawford, it will be better for him than if it had happened 15, 18 months ago, uh, because Pacquiao's win over Keith Thurman has kind of shown that he's. He might not be the force that he was, but he's still obviously a major force in the welterweight division. So, you know, that's obviously the fight that can be made right now while Crawford's at top rank, seeing as Pacquiao's apparently a free agent that will give him the sort of exposure and money that he wants. If I were Terence Crawford, I'd be doing everything I can to make that fight. But to be fair to Bob Aram, Terence, that includes doing a lot of media interviews to bang right. that drum to make that happen. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know. But that's at the moment it seems to be the most viable possibility for him to, to get that big fight. Although, as I said, I, I just don't understand why Pacquiao would want it.
2: Right. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad that not every boxer in the world has the same policy as Crawford, because uh, if every boxer I'd ever made a snarky tweet or snarky comment on a podcast <laughs> about refused to talk to me, I would probably be done Seriously. interviewing boxers.
1: Exactly. But, oh, well, there yes. you go. Um, it's his right, I suppose it's up to him, but there right. you go. Um, we said not too much action um, that weekend, but across the pond, Katie Taylor did return to the ring uh, atop a three-fight card of women's boxing on DAZN. Uh, and after a pair of hard battles against Delphine Person in her last three fights, this was a much easier outing for Taylor. Uh, she dominated. Miriam Gutierrez, uh, to retain her undisputed lightweight title by unanimous decision. Scores were 100 to 89, 100 to 90, and 99 to 91. One judge somehow finding a round for Gutierrez in there. Uh, Taylor was just simply a class of two above here, wasn't she? I mean, and were you at all surprised? You know, she rocked Gutierrez in the – she came after her right at the opening Mm -hmm. bell, rocked her in the third with a left hook, dropped her at the end of the fourth, had her pinned against the ropes in the sixth. Any surprise that actually this ended up going to a decision? maybe a slight surprise because it did seem like taylor was on her way to
2: stopping gutierrez in those middle rounds but katie taylor isn't a knockout artist never has right. been just six ko's in 17 fights although as we say about claressa shields it's a little harder to rack up ko's when you're fighting these two minute rounds regardless of whether or not she got the the knockout what a dazzling performance by katie taylor yeah. she looked absolutely fantastic so different from her two fights with delphine pursuit yeah. She was able to completely have her way against Gutierrez and show off all her offensive and defensive abilities. And so I'm left still a bit undecided about just how good she is. Maybe Pursun is that good. And, mm. you know, Katie Taylor is the Mayweather of women's boxing, and she met her Jose Luis Castillo. Um, that's a reach, mm. of course, you know, she's not a Floyd Mayweather, but you get the analogy Katie Taylor is probably in the top three pound for pound among female fighters right now. And Pursun might be top five or six. Um, You know, so based on what we saw against Gutierrez, I would believe that. Taylor looked tremendous. Uh, Full toolbox, as Roy Jones would say. Um, But, you know, but maybe Gutierrez is just that limited. Can't really say for sure. I'll say this for Katie Taylor. What a charming personality. Uh, I, yes. I, I watched and listened to a couple of interviews with her this week. Just seems like such a humble, down-to-earth person, yeah. so easy to root for. If she and Claressa Shields are the two faces of women's boxing for the next five years or so, the sport is in good hands and will continue to grow.
1: Yeah. She's another one who hates doing media, you know. They uh, they had to really work on her, I think, because she's just quite quiet and shy. She just right. likes to get in and, and, and fight, and right. that's it. And um, and it's a pity because when she does get to speak to the media, she's great. She's lovely. Right. You right. definitely want to root for, root for Katie Taylor. But yeah, I kind of think after watching those two Delphine Persone fights that Persone's just the kind of fighter who is just going to make life miserable for whoever fights her Mm -hmm. i think just that just that crowding difficult style so uh, i'm sure taylor was uh, relieved to be fighting uh, Mm -hmm. Miriam gutierrez on saturday night yeah
2: paramount plus and the national park foundation present a mountain of zen are you still listening good take a deep breath you needed a break
1: Let's move on. Uh, we are joined right now by a man who, uh, I think with his third appearance on the pod this year, is uh, really cementing his place atop the leaderboard <laughs> of guest appearances on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. And that's appropriate because he pays for Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, it, it is, of course, the president of Sports and Event Programming at Showtime, Stephen Espinosa. Steven,
0: uh, ge- oh, Gentlemen, I- how are you? Uh, <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, quite an introduction there. I, I will refrain from comment.
2: We are uh, we are paid directly out of your pocket, right? That's
0: yeah, yeah, right. How it works? Yeah, right.
1: right. And and the Which, more by nice by things the we, way, we say.
2: I'm a little
0: short this week. I hope you guys don't mind. <laughs> oh no, so we, we can talk about that off here. Don't worry okay.
1: about it. Right. <laughs> okay, I might have to cancel my Amazon purchases, but we'll do what we can. <laughs> All right. Um, so, look, the last time we spoke with you, um, it was just after you made the announcement of, of Showtime's late summer and fall slate of shows. Uh, it was an ambitious schedule. Mm-hmm. Almost complete now. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll ask you to look back on a few of the specific cards in a bit. But in general, what has been your your sort of big picture view about how everything has gone? And have the logistical challenges sort of been along the lines of of what you expected? And have you learned anything uh, that you weren't expecting to learn over the last few months? Um,
0: Good questions. I I, I think um,
1: the logistical
0: challenges were all sort of in the the pre-setup. You know in, in figuring out what's going once it's up and running it sort of runs itself and, and you you sort of get used to it in a way i think um what people don't really realize is the the sacrifices um that both the fighters and their camps and the production people make um so everybody's everybody's protocols are slightly different for ours depending we had different ones in connecticut than we did in texas and those are because of the commissions, but in Connecticut, um, basically you could leave your room during the week to get takeout from the casino. Uh, you could walk outside, but beyond that, you know, mm. nothing. So there's no group meals, there's no gym, there's no exercising, certainly no casino. And that's not too bad if you're getting in, you know, Thursday, Friday, if you're in earlier because you're doing setup. uh, uh-huh or something like that, then you're in Monday, Tuesday, and it's, uh, you know, it's sort of like solitary confinement, but in a really nice minimum security. (laughs) Um, So I I think, look, um, it's definitely worth it. Um, You know, on the production side, we haven't had, you know, knock on wood, cross your fingers and and all of that. We haven't had a positive yet uh, with Showtime Boxing, and that's, uh, that's, that's great because that's the largest group that can be 75, 80 people or more. Um, we have had some, uh, positives on the fighter side, you know, obviously the very first one was Stephen Fulton, um, which was as soon as he arrived in the bubble and thankfully the other ones and not thankfully that there were positives, but thankfully the other ones were caught relatively early, at least a week or two ahead of five weeks so we can make adjustments. So I think all in all, if you had told me this is where it would be um, at, at, at sort of this point in the year, I would have taken it. Hands down, I would have been thrilled. Yeah.
2: Right. Um, so turning to some of the specifics, uh, the, the biggest event was the six fight double main event pay-per-view card featuring the Charlo mm-hmm. brothers. Obviously, there were unique circumstances behind that one. But now that you've done it and know what's involved, is that the kind of thing you might experiment with again in the future? Um,
0: if I did, I I might want to throw a six rounder in there a little bit. Um, I think that that's where, where the challenge was, as we saw with the tank, when you get some stoppages, you know, both the, from the excitement and the adrenaline standpoint, and just from the the length of the show standpoint, it really helps the pace. So when you're getting to your fourth or fifth fight of the night, and you're talking about 10 or 12 rounds, Hmm. even for the hardest core fan, that is, that's, that's tough. So um, I would I would say you know maybe we break it up into two shows you know an afternoon and then take a break and then come back, or you know maybe it's you know five instead of six. But I, I don't think we'll have quite that set of uh, set of of, of of sort of uh, details and elements together yet mm-hmm. again. But I think that, that was the one thing about it is I think even the hardest court fight band it was a long
2: long time. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was yeah. it was moving along nicely in the first half, and then right got a got a few that yeah. went the distance, and suddenly suddenly it's getting late for that main event, which uh, right. is of course the Achilles heel for East Coasters, washed East Coasters like me <laughs> and Kieran. No, I, in, I'm I'm in
0: that category now uh, <laughs> because I, I used to, and you know it, it it's amazing. having not spent most of uh, my career, most of my adult life on the West Coast you like you're used to people on the east coast whining about it it's just <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and um, and now you get out there and all of a sudden i'm like wait a minute they actually had a point <laughs> it actually is a, really a drag the world series is on at 1 1 a.m and you're sitting there with uh with bites at, at 12 30 waiting for a main event yeah, okay. it's um it, it's something that you know look You've got the competition with other major sporting events, which is worse than usual this year, and that's always, you know, balances one way. But I mean, it is something that I think the sport really needs to uh, think about a lot. Because I think the good thing on that uh, Charlo doubleheader was that it started early. I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of positive feedback around that early start.
1: Yeah, uh, and staying with that card how did you feel about uh you know how things went for for the a-side guys in the main event for the two charlotte brothers you know i think we went into that feeling that they both were looking to make a real statement when do you feel they both got a statement win
0: um i, I think with, without question um i think they they showed everything that i think their uh, their fans and, and their supporters had hoped they would um and it was some really entertaining bots. i mean the uh you know, looking back on the Derevchenko Charlo fight, that fight was um, about a as high a level as a boxer slugger type matchup you get because it was it wasn't just a bar fight. You know, it wasn't a tough right. man competition. There was real skill in it, but it was still two guys slugging it out. Um, and I thought that was, I mean, if if we could have every fight, uh, you know for a year that way, I mean, you know, the sport would be all the better for it because I I think, you know, for my particular taste, you you had enough uh, of the skilled boxing and enough the slugging that is really, really entertaining Mm. and and really, really for a fight that sort of, it's also a a good example of a fight that, you know, if you look at the scorecards, it it's, it's deceiving because, you know, you might be up five rounds to two or and they're all just barely. So it feels like an even fight when you're watching it. On the scorecards, you know, you can have one guy up by three or four points. Right. It doesn't look so close.
1: Right, right. What, what do you want to see next for both the
0: brothers? Well, I, I think for, for Jamel, um, I think you, you, you have to go for the fourth belt. I mean, that's, that's really the fight. And I, I think we got a little bit of clarity now that you have a tentative day uh, with Castaño and Teixeira. Out of that fight, whoever wins that, um, I think that's the natural fight. And to have, you know, for, uh, a four-belt champion in, uh, in the 154-pound division, we've been sort of talking about it for two or three years now. Um, it would, I think that's the, that has to be the fight to be made. Mm. How about Jamal? Jamal's, an, um, you know, an interesting one. Uh, I think, um, you know, he's got some, uh, you know, I think there's some guys who may be moving up. Um, he may be moving up. I think he's got some interesting choices. Um, you know, looking forward. Um, I think you know. I don't know what's going to happen with the zone fighters. Um, you know, and you know, there's some. Um, some of our our colleagues have wanted very much to uh, to see an Andre fight, but I, I think uh, <laughs> you know, I think that one is is past his prime. There there have been opportunities to make that, so I, I'm not optimistic about that one. Um, you know, I still hold out hope, you know, in the long run, um, particularly now with uh, with Canelo out there as a free agent, that that there can be a Charlo Canelo fight at 168. Mm. And I think that that's probably um, when you look at, at both Jamal and Canelo, I, I think that's got to be top of the list for the most intriguing fights per year right now.
2: Definitely. Um, turning to the other big pay-per-view card that, that you've recently done, uh, Gervonta Davis knocked out Leo Santa Cruz in the main event. Given everything, the quality of the opposition and, and of the fight, the explosiveness of the knockout and the fact that that knockout video went viral, you know, millions and millions of views on mm-hmm. social media, was this everything you hoped it would be? And do you believe this will be the launching pad for Tank to the next level as an attraction?
0: Uh, I, I certainly, it's a huge step for Tank. Um, and, you know, having uh, said what I just said about Charlo Durbinchenko, I'll say the same thing. I mean, um, the kind of action that we got in the, in that brief burst between Tank and Leo um, was, I mean, it was, it was high level stuff. And I don't think um, that anyone expected Leo to come in the way he did. And to, you know, in spurts stand toe-to-toe and exchange with Tank and and hold his own, Um, you know, and, you know, ultimately, you you know, you relax for a second or you make a mistake and, you know, um, you pay the price against a guy like Tank. Um, But I I think overall, the main event overshadowed some really interesting performances. Um, The Barrios Carl was really entertaining, you know, confirmed what we thought about Barrios. Um, He's rarely in a boring fight then you know we go to regis progray and he looked as as sharp and strong as as he has in a while and then isaac cruz um i think quietly is a guy who um people should watch
1: so obviously one of the key elements of that that pay-per-view is it was the first main card in this country to be in front of a of a paying crowd since since we've had the pandemic and and afterwards eric and i were discussing you know, whether it was possible that this was, you know, the start of something, the first of several. But I sort of ventured that I had a feeling that maybe you just happened to catch a small, perfect window in time because it felt as if the virus is about to get much worse. And and lo and behold, that's really where we are here, that things are getting out of control. Um, look, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to try and predict the passage of the pandemic, but it's pretty obvious that we're not going to get any federal action, at least until January 20th. Um right. Does it feel that way to you? Do you feel that, like, that was probably the one opportunity we've had for fights in front of crowds for at least a couple of months?
0: You know, it, it very well m- might be. Um, you know, what's going on it, is scary. Um, and uh, we certainly don't want to put anyone in harm's way, and that includes the crowd. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not sure how much it came across on on television. Um, there, there was a lot of space. I mean, mm-hmm. this wasn't... Uh, you know, I, I, w- I was struck, you know, having watched the uh, the uh, the Crawford fight over the weekend, um, and I know they did rapid tests and everything, you know, before, but there wasn't a lot of space in here. Um, but we had, you know, huge gaps in space in that arena, and that's what you can do when you're in a 70,000 seat arena. Uh, but having said that, um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of sensitivity to whether we would go back in the environment that we're in now, which was is very different now sitting here two weeks after the fact than it was then. Yeah. So, uh, but I, I was struck, you know, immediately by, by the value of the crowd. It, it really added a, a whole dimension. Um, it was 9,000 people. It sounded like, you know, 79 or 89. <laughs> um, yeah. Promise you we didn't, we didn't pump it up. We didn't, you know, we didn't supplement it. That was legitimate crowd noise. It was, it was the loudest, 9,000 seat crowd that I've, I've ever heard, you know, and probably some of that was the acoustics and echoing within a really big album but it was uh, it, it, it would have definitely the fight would have felt different without that element. You yeah, know, and it just reinforced how much we all miss it, I think
1: yeah yes but it felt like that crowd was there from the very beginning and i also don't know if that's because they had to be let in at a certain time or whatever but it felt like there was an energy there for the whole card
0: there there was an energy there i mean look i i've been a lot of places and and we'll see if this is going to turn out to be a trend again i'm not sure if you caught this on air but anytime they showed floyd on the jumbotron there was just like a (laughs) drowning in booze. I mean, it was (laughs) sort of like going to an NBA game, you know, when you're booing one guy who, whenever he gets the ball, right. That's what it was on Floyd. It was a, a really engaged crowd. It
2: was a lot of fun. Um, so, uh, as we discussed with you last time, and as you, you mentioned already here, you, you've had contingencies in place for every card in the event that any boxers had to drop out due to COVID. And you mentioned what happened with, with Stephen Fulton being unable to go up against Angelo Leo in a fight many of us were greatly looking forward to. there are reports now that the fight could be on for December. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
0: Um, I think that's, that's more likely an early 2021 fight. Um, okay. You know, I um, you know I'm aware of the reports. There there have been some conflicting information, both um, internally and and publicly, about the availability of Bali um, for the Donaire fight. You know, and um, I I can't speak knowledgeably about some of that because we're still sort of sorting all of it out. Um, but our our goal is to you know hopefully keep Donaire on that show and get a a high level opponent. Um, and possibly even keeping as the title fight, uh, and and we'll see. Uh, but but I think even having said that, I think uh, I think that the Fulton Leo is is, is first quarter of twenty twenty one. The chilling new original docu series on Paramount Plus.
1: Okay, so Rodriguez not necessarily confirmed as Danera's opponent. Um, is that correct? I,
0: look, that's I I would love so. I I don't believe there's a signed contract. You know, okay. uh maybe it's happened today, so I, I never like to chinx things. Um, but that's a that's a situation where um, you know, it's you know, it's uh, you know arguably as good a fight, if not better, in, in terms of the style uh-huh. matchup. So I think that's it takes a little bit of extra time and energy and commitment, but um Everyone understands. The fighters understand what's going on here, and you never know. You could get an opportunity for a title shot out of the blue, and, and that may drop into Rodriguez's lap here.
1: Yeah, yeah, So, you know, Leo looked terrific against Jermaine Williams, who, who did step into the spot there. Um, and, you know, you mentioned some of the guys on the undercard at, at the pay-per-views, and we've also seen, you know, during these fights uh, over the last couple months, we've seen, for example, we've seen Brandon Lee score yet another first-round knockout. Uh, Malik Hawkins maybe showing he needs to stick to some shallower waters. Um, Xavier Martinez going through an amazing gut check and coming through on the yeah. other side. Who, you know, and a lot of these guys we've been watching on Showbox and on mm-hmm. and Special Editions and coming up, who has really sort of impressed you over these last several months in that kind well, of
0: Well, you, you, said, you said Hawkins. I think Hawkins is, is still a good young prospect. Um, but I, I think that fight was more about Matthias Mm. and him showing the potential that a lot of people thought he had coming up and maybe shaking off, uh, uh, you know, a shaky performance or two in the past, but you know, he is, you talk about a guy who, who comes in with a seek and destroy mentality that stuck with me. And, and the other one you mentioned as well, um, you know, certainly Brandon Lee has been impressive and I think we'll step him up in, in, uh, in terms of quality opposition pretty quickly. Um, But Xavier Martinez, um, you know, that is – I'm not sure that that Floyd wanted that tough a fight. (laughs) Uh, You know, and Floyd doesn't shy away from tough fights for any of his guys. But that is, um, A, you know, you you can't overestimate the value of that experience for a young fighter. And, and B, like, I – you know, if you ask for for one guy other than those pay-per-view High-level performances, one guy. It would be Xavier Martinez, because I I think it it, it was the, the seventh, was it the seventh or the eighth round? Um, him to survive the round and then come back and at least I think on my card, I give him maybe three of the next four rounds. Um, and most judges did. Um, like that, he just you know, I, and I I called Floyd uh, during the twelfth round of that fight, and I said, look. I don't know how this is going to end up. I have no idea what the the, the scores, but um, I wanted to see this kid again, you know, win or lose because he's earned it. You know, you showed that kind of heart. It would have been really easy for a young guy to pack it up, yes. and you know, especially against a veteran like mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't, and and that was that was one of the most impressive performances of you know of yeah. this quarter.
2: All right. So we have all, all these young guys that uh, hopefully we'll be seeing again uh, in 2021. You already mentioned uh, Fulton Leo, uh, hopefully in the works for first quarter of 2021. This year from hell is finally coming to a close. So we, we can sort of start to, to think more about 2021. I assume you're deep into planning for the new calendar year. Is there uh, anything else beyond those names that uh, is coming together that you can share with us? And I'm particularly curious about Claressa Shields, anything in the works with her?
0: Yeah, um, you know, we're talking to Dimitri, um, but, you know, part of the the difficulty here, um, you know, and and I'm, I'm sure you guys and others have, have put two and two together on on some of the other cards. You know, we, we haven't had as many show boxes we would have liked. We haven't had any... Uh, you know as some of the mid-level shows that um that we would have liked and that's simply because um you know these uh, the championship shows are a lot more expensive than um than we anticipated mm-hmm. and it, it's all in in sort of testing and extra days of hotel and quarantine and, and all of that so as we're in going in and you have a fixed sum of money going into the third and fourth quarter you know I'd hope to do more shows, but it turns out, you know, once the bill started coming in, um, you know, we, we couldn't do a lot beyond the big championship shows. Uh, so I think that, um, that will change going forward, um, both in terms of show box and, and in terms of other things, you know, possibly Carissa, um, you know, obviously she's got an, an interesting fight lined up. Um, Dimitri and I continue to talk and try and try and figure that out. Um, And then otherwise, you know, uh, look, David Benavides is a guy who sort of um, kicked off the schedule for us back in August. You know, I I think we'll start and go back through again. So he's, he's do another fight, whether it's, you know, Caleb Plant, who all of a sudden is sort of the bell of the ball in terms (laughs) of, you know, getting opponents, uh, his phone is ringing off the hook. and you know, whether or not that's it, I I think, you know, David is um, somebody who's always really entertaining. um, And I I think a a, a big, uh, a big focus for us going forward. Um, I know your personal favorites will probably see uh, Adrian Bronder back. Uh, (laughs) I know you've been waiting for me to say that. with And, you know, look, I think, you know, I, I think, you know the the Charlo's. I think we might see. Um, you know, I still think there's a there's a lot of activity in the 47, 54, 60 division. You know, there are some guys who've been quiet. Whether it's uh, you know J Rock or Hurd or those guys, I, I think you know we'll, we'll see them. You know, at some point in the first part of the year. Um, and you know, I, I think it, again, you know, we've got down at at 122 an embarrassment of Richards. You yes. know, there as well. I mean, so uh, whether it's um, Brandon Figueroa and, you know, Luis Neri or Rae Salim or, you know, any combination of those guys, um, I think you can't make a bad fight, you know, in that division right yeah.
2: Well, as, as long as you mentioned the name of Caleb Plant, I, I have to ask, as, as a final question, I uh, have to bring up, and you mentioned uh, his name already yourself, uh, Canelo Alvarez. We know that there were at least some talks going on uh, with, with Showtime and Canelo. What are you able to say about how far anything progressed and whether there is a, a, a decent looking possibility that Canelo and Showtime might, uh, might come together?
0: Well, um, you know anybody who's uh, knows anything about the sport, you know, is going to um, would be interested in Canelo if it becomes available. Uh, you know that that's sort of um, a given. So um, you know I'll I'll say it. You know we would we would very much like to have him back, and we think between us and PBC there's some really interesting fights to be done, and I, I think we're the network that's you know best suited for what's going to happen going forward. Um, but you know at the end of the day, you know. Canelo is very much his own boss, um, and he knows, um, you know, he's in that period of his career, and it's interesting to see fighters get to that point um, because a lot of the, uh, the high-level fighters, they get to the point where they, they, take, uh, they take the reins themselves. Right. Um, so, you know, we make our pitch, um, you know, and, and do the deal that we can defend and, and which makes sense for us and we think for him. And then he's got his own set of parameters in terms of the goals that he wants to get done. Uh, I think he wants to get back into the ring very quickly. Um, And understandably, it's been a year since he's fought. Um, So look, um, you know, whether it's on this fight or the next one, um, as long as he remains available, we'll keep uh, pursuing him because I think there's good fights to be made.
1: And you promised that you will never make him wait an hour and a half for a UFC main event to finish. <laughs> that, that is one thing, you know,
0: that is one thing I can definitely promise. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we talk now, if I can get on my soapbox again, uh, you know, I think, and I'm going to tell you, we haven't always handled this the best, you know, that Charlo doubleheader, I, I think, you know, you know, it dragged the second half of it but i i really think you know not talking about any show in particular um although <laughs> although there are some recent ones that yeah. have you know I, I think as networks we really need to be um really careful we we have a responsibility to the sport to present it in the best way right. and the best way is not a couple rounds of action and then an hour of talking um now i get it like if you go fight, 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 you're never going to entertain the casual fans because you know, have no idea. You need to get people invested, let them know who's fighting and, and let them uh, get an emotional attachment. But that doesn't mean you know, an endless series of you know, features and anthems and all this kind of thing because I think when you've got something attractive, um, as, as we've tried to do on both the pay-per-views, we, we want to feel brisk. We want it to feel like, hey, this thing is moving, not uh, let's get on to the next fight. So uh, if there was a wish list for me for 2021, um, it would be all of us who participate in the sport could pay closer attention to that. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's one thing that really, I think, drags down the, the experience. If you just drag it out and have you know, this these interminable weights between fights. It's um you can have the best fight in the world and it's just gonna have a negative taste in your mouth.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. singing our song, Steve. Yeah, <laughs> you are no you, you
0: guys are cranky guys just like me. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um hey look Stephen, thank you so much as always for joining us. And look, congratulations to, to you, to the crew, to all the production staff for pulling off the the cards that you've done so far in, in this unbelievably difficult environment. And, and I think they've all, like you said, there've been some hiccups along the way, but of course there have. Uh, I think, I think mm-hmm. a lot of credit is due to you and, and everybody else involved. It's, it's been a, good, a really good series of fight cards. And we've still got a couple more before year's end as well. So That's right. uh, thanks well, so uh, much. Uh, yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, Anytime, you know. guys. And thank you for those little envelopes of cash that you keep sending <laughs> our <way>. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks thanks very you. much, Steve. All right, thanks. Uh, just a few fights to look forward to this coming week. On Thursday, Ring City makes its debut on NBC Sportsnet with a double header, featuring Oshaki Foster against Mickey Roman in junior lightweight action, and lightweights William Zapeda against Roberto Ramirez. On Saturday, Javier Fortuner takes on Antonio Lozada on Fox Sports One, and Conor Ben son of Nigel, meets Sebastian Formella on DAZN. And somehow Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. gets another fight, although, thank heavens, this one is not on any TV or streaming service in the U.S. Uh, anything float your boat there, Eric? Uh,
2: definitely not, Chavez Jr. Uh, that uh, that boat has sunken. Uh, the, uh, the DAZN card, eh, you know, Ben is a somewhat interesting prospect, but I'm not building my Saturday afternoon around watching that card. Same goes for Fortuna Lozada. I'll wait and see if the internet is a buzz afterward about some nice. instant classic fight that I missed. The one I'll be making a point to watch live is the NBC Sports card, because I'm curious to see... How Ring City looks, how fights from the wildcard gym look. Uh, we'll have some friends on the broadcast team. We're friendly with the guys behind Ring City. So we'll be wishing them all well and wanting to see how this new show goes. And the fights are solid. You know, when you're talking about low budget fights, um, it's a showbox level, although without the emphasis on prospect versus prospect. Mickey Roman is certainly nobody's idea of a prospect, um, but I I like that matchup with Oshaki Foster. Zapata Ramirez looks good on paper, too. I like that they're doing it on Thursday. That's a nice change of pace. I'd love to see boxing reclaim a midweek evening. Uh, It hasn't really done that since USA Tuesday Night Fights ended, so maybe Ring City can change that. So, yeah, mark me down as a very interested observer on Thursday. Nothing much else to care about this uh, this coming weekend, though. Uh, What the schedule lacks in fights right now in mid-November, we make up for with news items, Uh, a fair number of them to go over this week. And we begin with the biggest and most persistent one. We already talked to Steven about this. It is, of course, the saga of Canelo Alvarez. When we recorded last week, it appeared he was set to fight Caleb Plant, and we were hearing that Showtime was a front runner to televise. Now the reports have him heading back to DAZN, at least for this one fight, for about half the money he was owed under the deal he just got out of, uh, to take on Callum Smith. Kieran... Anything to add to what Steven was able to share with us? And, and what are your thoughts on, on this latest chapter in the Canelo saga?
1: So on one level, like out of context, the zone looks a lot smarter than it did a week ago. You know, if, if it's rid of Golden Boy, at least in terms of Canelo, and can now deal with him directly and can offer him 16 to 20 million instead of 35 to 40 million, that's theoretically good business. Um, I, I, my suspicion is this: this is a one-off. That it's just that, like as we talked about last week, Canelo just really wants to fight, and he really wanted to fight this year. And there's probably more money and probably more opportunity to make the fight immediately with DAZN. Uh, while there just wasn't enough time to turn around like a pay-per-view, especially uh, as you know some other promoters have, have moved away from fights on that sort of December nineteenth date. Um, because of it going head-to-head with other sports. So I suspect we'll see something different next year. I don't think we're just going to see Canelo back in a relationship with the zone for half the money he was going to get. But right. um, but we shall see. The only thing that is more guaranteed than us talking about Canelo inside the ring is talking about us talking about Canelo and his fight negotiations and contract situation and promotional situation. It feels like it has been the big on-running, ongoing, running joke almost on the podcast for a year now (laughs) right i think (laughs) um but if canelo's next fight is an ongoing topic for his discussion so is that of tyson fury uh who in the latest twist having insisted that he wanted to fight in 2020 that he needed to fight in 2020 has now tweeted uh as has his promoter uh that he won't after all in fact be fighting in 2020 that he will be back in 2021 so make of that what you will uh, in light of, for example, mediation talks between him and Deontay Wilder regarding a possible third fight and various other things that are afoot, it certainly sounds as if something is afoot there. Uh, we talked earlier with Stephen about fights being postponed or cancelled due to COVID, and Luke Campbell's title eliminator with Ryan Garcia has uh, been postponed as well after the British boxer uh, tested positive. Um, what are your levels of bummed outness about about a delay in that fight, Eric?
2: Uh, it is a bummer for sure, although there's talk that it might only be delayed two weeks, in which okay. case can't get too upset about that. Right. Um, I just hope Luke Campbell is at 100 percent when it happens. We yes. want to see that fight and we don't want asterisks around that result. Indeed. Uh, now, here's a news item that caught me by surprise. Rock Nation has announced that it is leaving the boxing business. Jay-Z's company made a lot of noise when it entered the promotional game in 2014, signing the likes of Andre Ward and Miguel Cotto to big money contracts. But here's why the news caught me by surprise. Both Ward and Cotto have been retired for a few years. And I had no idea Rock Nation was even still in the boxing business uh, It's like when I heard Brian Dennehy died earlier this year and I was taken by surprise because I was certain for whatever reason that he was already dead uh, That's sort of where I was with Rock Nation uh, Did you know that Rock Nation was still alive as a boxing promoter uh, and and any parting thoughts about their involvement in the sport?
1: No um, not that I'd actually thought about Rock nation for a long time right. uh, i I just assumed they were long gone um you know, when they were around, I enjoyed working with them. I enjoyed working with with Michael Yarmark, who who uh, you know headed up that division. But they never felt like they were really on top of things in in terms of being a prom- promotional company. Um, you know, for a start, Jay Z never put them in a position to take advantage of their biggest asset, which was Jay Z. Uh, he would never tweet about his company's fights. Would never talk about them. Would never do any publicity was rarely if ever at those fights uh i feel so you know they had and and, and went through some some boxing real boxing expertise but they, they they did make the mistake i think that the zone would arguably later follow which was to enter by throwing vast amounts too much money at the sport and at the people that they wanted to sign i mean there were there were huge deals that they signed Ward and Kodo and, and too um boxing promotion is hard it takes a lot everybody thinks they can be a promoter but it takes a lot of smarts and expertise um as well as you know an, an ability to maybe turn off the ethics filter from time to time um <laughs> a, as well as money of course uh, and of course rock nation you know they lost a lot of goodwill in the sport with the the situation regarding one of their fighters daniel twitch franco um franco ultimately suing rock nation after he suffered brain injuries in a, in a pair of bouts, actually that he claims the promoter pushed him into and and, and that sort of left a bad taste and and it felt as if rock nation was never really much of a force after that and certainly not after you know kodo left and then uh, then andre retired um so yeah there you go goodbye rock nation you knew yeah. all right okay we're saving this one for last because this is boxing at its most boxing um <laughs> We started with boxing being boxing at the top of the podcast. It seems fair that we're coming around to the uniqueness of this particular sport. So one of the sanctioning bodies has announced that it is creating a new division between cruiserweight and heavyweight, which it claims is a response to the inherent unfairness of 201-pound heavyweights having to compete with the likes of 270-pound Tyson Fury. This division, which has a specified upper limit of 224 pounds, is already in that organization's rankings um and it's called bridger weight why you ask is it called bridger weight is it because it is a bridge between smaller fighters and super heavyweight behemoths no 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 (laughs) it is named after a six-year-old boy called bridger i am not making this up who saved a Bridger sounds like a great kid. He saved his four-year-old sister from an attack by a wild dog, an unbelievably heroic effort by the young man, clearly worthy of reward and recognition. But really, why taint it by associating his name with this cesspool of a concept? Um, Look, and far be it for me to suggest this whole thing's been thrown together without any real thought, but the head of said sanctioning body initially said that the cruiserweight division would remain untouched, and then just three days after that, decided that um, cruiserweight's uh, limit would be moved back down to its original weight of 190 pounds um, and the bridge weight would start there. Also, anyone ranked in the bridge weight rankings is completely able to fight for heavyweight belts if they so choose. So I don't know. Look, maybe I've just been around this sport too long, and I'm just a simple small-town boxing podcaster, Eric, but it almost makes it sound as if this is merely a desperate grab for more sanctioning fees. That can't be right, can it? No, no, can't be. The the alphabets
2: are in it for purely altruistic reasons, as we all know. (laughs) Um, Setting aside whether boxing needs another division— you can immediately see the problems this will cause if one sanctioning body has a 224-pound division and the others don't. And if one says cruiserweight has a limit of 190 and the others say it's 200. We don't need to make this sport more confusing and chaotic than it already is, but these greedy bastards are trying to do (laughs) just that. The main reason that smaller heavyweights, guys in the 200-pound range, move up from cruiserweight is the prestige and money that come with fighting for the heavyweight championship of the world. I can tell you, without knowing him personally or ever asking him about it, that Oleksandr Usyk has no desire to be the bridgerweight champion. Exactly. That, that's not what's driving him. This is so stupid. I get it. There are a couple of outliers, Fury and Joshua specifically, who are a tall task, pun somewhat intended, uh, for the 220-pound heavyweights. So what? Those are the measuring sticks that Usyk and Wilder and Povetkin want to compete against. Until you can show me that the best 220-pounders don't want to face the best 250-pounders, I will view this purely as a division that exists to put a belt on the best of the second or maybe third tier 220-pounders, that guy who has given up on competing with the best heavyweights and is happy to collect any belt he can get his hands on at this stage of his career. Like, creating a bridger weight division, this is basically a way for... Bryant Jennings to have a shot at a belt. Uh not to knock Bryant Jennings, but that's kind of the level of fighter that is going to gravitate toward having some interest in this, uh fighting at 224 pounds for a title. And let me remind you, just a few months ago, 224 pound Alexander Povetkin, a couple weeks shy of his forty first birthday, knocked 252 pound Dillian White cold. Why do 224 pounders need their own division again? <laughs> yeah. I rest my case.
1: Yeah no I mean look it's funny I, I'm not necessarily an absolutist on the issue of weight classes I mean less is more I don't inherently mind necessarily say 15 weight divisions rather than 8 if there's one champion in each of those weight divisions mm-hmm. and weight limits are somewhat arbitrary but I mean come on it's you can't keep especially when it comes to the upper weight divisions if you start dividing these divisions into 10 or 15 pound increments you'll never end and maybe I shouldn't say that because I don't want to give these people any (laughs) ideas they're on it and I actually made note to use that very same example that you just talked about that the head of this sanctioning body actually offered the issue of Alexander Usyk being somewhat appearing to be somewhat physically overmatched throughout the first two rounds of his fight with Eric Tashora as a reason for having this division but Usyk won the fight Mm -hmm. And he was looked the more likely to score the knockout. And the note that I also made is, he's not doing this to become Bridgerweight champion. Right. He was doing very well as a cruiserweight champion, and he could have stayed there. But he wants to be heavyweight champion. And if you move the bottom of the heavyweight division to 224 pounds, then those guys who are 210 pounds are going to try to get up to 224 pounds to be heavyweight. They're not going to pay any attention to Bridgerweight at yeah. all. But. Uh, and also just the name. I mean, Jesus, how yeah. far up your own ass do you have to be <laughs> to think, oh, I uh, what a lovely, charming story of of a childhood hero. I shall unilaterally create a weight division in boxing to honor him. I mean, good Lord. Oh, and, and sort of related to on the same level as your Alexander Povetkin thing, uh, one man who has for almost his entire career within the Bridgerweight limits is Deontay Wilder. Yep, yep. The one time in the last few years he exceeded the bridge weight weight division to become a heavyweight, he got his ass kicked in his that's last right. fight. Yeah. So, you know, he's better off at the lighter weight. So, yeah, it's lucky. I would love to be able to say, well, it's just one sanctioning body that's gone rogue. But as soon as the others see that there's money involved, we know what's going to happen.
2: Right. That's why we got to nip this in the bud before it uh, really takes hold at all. Yeah. Uh, Deontay Wilder, of course, could not make Bridger weight if he has his 40-pound ring walk Ah, suit on. So very important uh, distinction there when he does step on the scale. Um, You know, I agree with what you said about that uh, these weight limits are somewhat arbitrary and not etched in stone. And I'm okay with considering some changes that it doesn't have to – you know, it hasn't stayed stagnant for 100 years. And it can – so – If the alphabet groups want to get together and debate raising the cruiser weight limit to 210, let's say, maybe I could live with that. I don't know that it makes sense or makes anything better, but I could probably wrap my mind around that as not a disaster. Nobody needs an 18th division when we already have 17, especially one that we agree will carry no prestige and that we agree has a really stupid sounding name.
1: We want young Bridger to film a PSA <laughs> yes. campaigning campaigning if, against this. If
2: if Bridger comes out against this, maybe that will
1: be what's go.
2: necessary to shut it down.
1: Yeah, that's what I that that says everything about the, the sport and the business that we're vaguely relying on the six-year-old boy to come out and save us all here yeah, yes. there you go <laughs> all right uh, that will do it for this edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin And once again our thanks to Stephen Espinoza for joining us we will be back next week when we will be joined by our friend Brian Campbell who will join us to talk about the first offering from Ring City and to look ahead with us uh, Daniel Dubois Joe Joyce to which we're very much looking forward uh, Daniel Jacobs Gabriel Zotto which we're not especially looking forward and god help us it's almost here the Mike Tyson Roy Jones exhibition looks like it might actually be a thing and we might have to talk about it so that should be a fun episode so join us then won't you and until then thank you for listening be safe be kind and be well